acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Ramsey Yunt, and... Uh, I might as well go public with it, Scott. I think I may have mentioned it on the air earlier in a previous episode, but I'm not sure. I, uh, You and I talked about this uh, outside of the studio. I'm starting to look around for a new car. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. How's the search going? It's, uh, it's, it's going pretty well. Uh, I am, you know, the sweet spot, as you've always told me, for, for buying a, a car that is quote-unquote New to me mm-hmm. uh, is about two or three years. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's a that's a smart place to look, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sweet spot. That's where you find that most of the depreciation has already happened for a new car, mm-hmm. and the price is down to an affordable rate. It's usually still below a hundred thousand miles. Uh, typically, hopefully, it is. Yeah, uh, you've got relatively, you know, um, a, a big market to choose from with that type of, uh, you know, that criteria in mind. I guess. So, I, with the best of intentions. Uh, did something that may have stirred the pot a little bit on the internet. I went on to, I went on to some social media and I said, I'm going to start looking for a new car, right? No timeline, nothing, uh, no, no specific commitment. And I asked people what they like about the cars they have, right? Mm-hmm. Or if there were any specific makes or models that they would recommend avoiding. Mm-hmm. And uh, people... I bet you got a, a huge variety of, of responses, right? Yep, yep. And which I, to me, that would just you know confuse me more than anything. I think mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know how do you, how do you find that this is working out for you so far. I mean, do you think it has has confused you, or do you think that it is helping to refine your uh, your decision, like your uh, yeah y- narrow your search? Yeah, uh, well, we're we're very much in the early days, right? Yeah, yeah sure. And uh, what I'm finding is that 
the 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 same thing about every sort of piece of advice still holds true and that that is the following people love giving advice that they don't have to take <laughs> yeah that's you know universally and, true right and uh, a lot of my a lot of my buddies who are car guys are uh very specific mm-hmm. in their offers uh one guy told me for uh Two thousand for twenty three hundred dollars, straight cash, straight scratch. Uh, I could get an RV camper. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, or he also tried to pitch me on a dump truck, and he said <laughs> it's in it's in good condition except for the driver's seat. Now, who is trying to sell you a dump truck as a daily driver? Because this is your dra- your, your yeah, your, this your, would bre- be... your bread and butter wagon, right? Right, I mean, right. Getting to work and, and home from work. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going to drive a dump truck or an RV? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. But you know what? That's that's somebody who knows your interests, your likes, right? Because you like an RV. You've always liked an RV. You always yeah. want to live in a van. Glenn right? Beck was actually one of the first people who responded. And uh, asked me about. Uh, I think uh, Glenn checked me on this, but I'm pretty sure Glenn asked me about a Winnebago. Uh, <laughs> and, and is that it, right? Yeah. If you want, toward the end of this episode, I can I can pull some of this stuff up and read you the uh, recommendations. Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's see what some of your friends have uh, have come across for you. See if there are true good friends, or if uh, they're just kind of feeding you a line. See if you'll do it. You know, like a almost, yeah. this could almost be like a like a fun thing for people. Like, let's see if we can get Ben to buy a sports car, or let's see if we can get him <laughs> right. to buy a pickup truck, or whatever right. it is. Right. And I would, you know, honestly, I would love, I would love a decent truck mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the the thing that came up in in my search and a little bit when people were talking about uh, what sort of car to buy mm-hmm. uh, is the idea of affordability and its correlation to commonality. Mm-hmm. So remember when we did uh, some episodes on the world's most stolen cars and the world's most common cars? I think they're still Honda Civics, right? I think that's still the case, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Honda Civics are workhorses. Yeah. And you, I, I, I don't know if it's the same where uh, in your neck of the global woods, friends and neighbors, but... Scott and Ramsey and I can't walk more than about or can't drive. We can't walk more than 500 yards. We can't drive more than two miles without seeing at least three Honda Civics. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah. Or Honda Accords or whatever Mm -hmm. that happens to be. Even Ford F-150s, you know, pickup trucks are big down here in the south and they make a lot of Ford F-150s and, and, you know, their top selling truck, of course, for many, many years, decades running. Yeah. Uh, so we see a lot of those around. But yeah, those are the ones that end up being stolen the most because they are uh, the ones that are most, uh, well, I guess the uh, the most valuable for their parts. So right. they're stolen, stripped, and then sold as parts, you know, individual parts to people that want those parts for more money than, you know, the car itself is worth as a whole. So that's the, re- that's the reasoning behind that. And you're right about... Um, you know, the, something is not quite as common. You know, something's a little more sought after, a little mm-hmm. bit more rare. Mm-hmm. It's it tends to be a little bit more valuable, but that's not always the case. And we'll we'll talk about, um, you know, what what it means to be a, a real, a true rare car in just a minute. But I wanted to share with you one thing before we get started. And I know uh-huh. we've already gotten off to a, a, a different start here. Not the, not our topic <laughs> as we always do, right? right but right, right. Um, I I had something that uh, had come across my desktop 
you know, uh, I think it was about a week ago, and I just didn't get a chance to read it on air. Uh, so it's a it's a couple of weeks old now at this point, but it is a significant milestone for a manufacturer that I think we need to talk about. And this would go to the uh, the category of definitely not rare at this point. This is uh, this is something that's the opposite of rare, as a matter of fact. Oh wow, Honda uh, Honda Motor Company or Honda, you know, Honda. Uh, I guess motorcycles really has produced its 100 millionth Super Cub. Now the Super Cub is, if you're not familiar with it, because a lot of people here in the United States might not be, um, it is a uh, moped really, it's mm-hmm. a, and it always has been a moped. And if you look at the picture of, you know, a 1958 Honda Super Cub and a you know 2017 Super Cub here in this, in this uh, um, article here. I've got a picture of them side by side, and they look like the same bike still. I mean, that's pretty remarkable for you know this being that many years on. Yeah, not um, much has changed. But I mean, this is incredible. Uh, I mean, they introduced this thing back in what 1958, I said, and you know the company was founded in 1946, mm-hmm. uh, so it was a pretty young company at the time. And I think they said in this article that it was it, again. This comes from Car and Driver, I should say. So if anybody wants to look at it, follow along. Um, it, they were just starting to. Uh, make their first, you know, tentative runs at the Isle of Man TT back mm-hmm. then. Uh, they were also starting to um, really get serious about making this an alternate form of transportation for the people of Japan because, uh, like, I think it was about 10 years prior to that, uh, Vespa and Lambretta scooters were um, really, really popular. Of course, those are the Italian marks. And, uh, you know, they had a, a unique, distinct body style that um, had, you know, like the the knee shield and all that. Well, this one has... A knee shield, it's a lot smaller than you'll find on a Vespa, uh, but it's a little bit more of an upright bike, more of a bicycle-looking thing. Yeah. Uh, everybody can picture what a, 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 I guess, classic moped looks like, and that's sure. similar to what this looks like. Uh, but the thing is, they added uh, larger wheels and um, so increased uh, stability. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also had something that was really unique at the time. Instead of going with a two-cycle engine like the uh, Lambrettas and the um, uh, Vespas, they went with a four-stroke engine. And that was like it's it's a, a tick in the uh, pro box for a lot of people, you know, because oh, yeah. the two you know the two cycles that you had to mix the oil with all the time, and it was just kind of messy and smelly. And and these were uh, it was just a better engine. It was a, a bulletproof engine, as they said. It did come to the United States eventually, uh, you know, not much, not long after that. But they had to sell it as something called the Honda Fifty because uh, Piper had already used the Super Cub name for the airplane that it was was building at the time. And I think a lot of people can remember the Piper Super Cub. They might even mm-hmm. still make that. I don't know. Um, but anyways, this 100 millionth marker here is a big deal. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, a run over that many decades, you know, that's a lot of vehicles. But I'll tell you some numbers in just a minute that should astound you, really. It, it should astound anybody, really, for production. Um, but we've talked about, you know, the most common cars, that you know, here in the United States. Um, you know, Volkswagen. I think we talked about Volkswagen Beetles, right? Yeah. They made oh, yeah. 21 and a half million of those. Um, over, you know, I don't remember how long that run was, but it was a long, long time. And of course, you know, the Model Ts, they made 15 million of those. Right. All right. So, uh, and I, well, yeah, what's the other thing? The, uh, the original Mini design. Remember the original Mini? Before yeah, yeah. They, before BMW? The good uh, one? The version? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The original good one. The really tiny one, right? Yeah. The actual um, Mini one. We, we like all Minis, but yeah, the, the, the actual Mini one. Yeah. They only made 5.4 million of those. And I say only. That's a huge number, right? Sure. But this is 100 million of these scooters. And so just even, and here's where it gets even more interesting, I, th- I think, anyways. Mm. 
All right. You know, they started in 1958 building these. So that's a long, long ramp up, right? But it turns out they weren't making as many back then, of course, because, you know, well, they're more popular now, you know, population density. It's 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 even more important now that they build more. So uh, I know that's a confusing way to say that, but uh, the production has ramped up considerably, right? Yeah. So uh, you got to remember that um, they only built their 20 millionth Super Cub in 1992. So that means that they've built 80 million of those bikes in the past 25 years. That's insane. 80 million in 25 years out of that 100 million. And then if you want to go even more than that, sure. 40 million of those 80 million were built since 2009. That's just eight years ago. So this is, uh, this is a definite hard curve for production. Absolutely. And I, I kind of ran the numbers through a, uh, a little bit of a filter here to figure out how many the, this means, really. And if you average all this out, so eight years, 40 million bikes, right? Mm-hmm. That averages about 5 million per year. That means that every single day, this factory has averaged a production of about 13,699 Honda Cubs. Holy smokes. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, 14, why don't like fourteen thousand a day? Why don't we have any? That's if they're cranking out seven days a week and yeah, three hundred sixty-five days a year for the last you know forty years or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, but what? That's the question that a lot of people are going to have. Like, if there are a hundred million, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if production is ramping up and has been ramping up over the years, especially recent years. Yeah, in the last eight especially. Right. Why don't we see more of these? in the US and they haven't Honda hasn't sold the Super Cub I believe in the in the states for some time. No, no, not for many years they haven't sold it here. Um but you know they they had a, a small run that came over here for a while. Yeah. Um and they were, you know, they're popular of course, but sure. uh, but worldwide we see mopeds and small motorcycles as transportation for entire families sometimes. Would you ride um, a, would you have a moped as your daily driver? Uh, not <laughs> 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 no because uh, the area that we live in is just far too um, uh, congested. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was a little bit more open, I would. Now, I know that, you know, these are great for areas that are congested, but typically they're congested with other similar traffic. There's a lot of people on mopeds, a lot of people on right. motorcycles. Uh, but when you mix uh, the type of traffic that we have here in Atlanta with a moped, it doesn't really work out so well. Right. And if I'm correct, you cannot drive a moped on the interstate. That's right, yeah, because there's a, uh, a CC limit mm-hmm. uh, to the engine size that uh, restricts you from riding something like that there. Now, I think there's some bigger bikes that are considered, I don't know if they consider, still are considered mopeds or not, uh, but they have motorcycle-like speeds. Yeah. Uh, but they're still called, I think they're called scooters, not mopeds, and maybe that's the difference. There's some big scooters that can mm-hmm. do it. Uh, but I don't think I would trust it, you know, little, uh, <laughs> nine, ten inch wheels on the, on the highway. I, it just doesn't yeah, seem like I it's get, a smart move. I gotta be honest with you, Scott. Usually in Atlanta, if I see someone in a scooter or a moped, call it what you will, I assume that they have, uh, for lack of a better term, I assume they have like real transport as also, I, I I assume that they have a car in their garage. Yeah, yeah. You know, just because in just because Atlanta has such sprawl, and it, we're so reliant on very high speed transit passageways, mm-hmm. whether that's um, you know a, a three lane on either side road or whether that's an interstate, uh, I don't see a scooter being a viable thing here. But I understand, especially in in very densely populated cities 
where uh, every single vehicle is probably going to be able to go about 15 miles an hour, mm-hmm. regardless of cap- capability. Yeah. Engine wise, yeah, uh, you know, I, yeah, I oh, can see the scooter working really well. Well, there are also a lot of hills here in Atlanta, so you know the entire city is built. You know, of course, it's it's not mountainous, but uh, mm-hmm. but close to it. It's it's hilly, and uh, you know you get behind a moped that's you know traveling at twenty miles an hour, and then it slows down to fifteen or even ten going up a hill. Yeah, you know, depending on the year. So you have to wonder, Scott. You got to wonder. Do we know if anyone has purchased the one hundredth millionth? car or cub rather <laughs> i don't know i i would think that honda would would you know store that away somewhere you know mm-hmm. like put it in a fact uh, not a factory in a uh, museum the factory museum or whatever you know display it somewhere there on the grounds maybe you're you being know. very indiana jones about this well it would, belongs in a museum <laughs> i guess i am but you know <laughs> I, it seems like they usually pull those out of production and and label it i mean to, mm. maybe it could be a giveaway to somebody or something you know as a sure. uh, as a prize or something like that or i don't like know a what, retirement uh present you know instead oh, sure. of a watch oh that'd be nice wouldn't it yeah, yeah that would be, be super cool probably I'd, but it would it be valuable though i wonder i mean because here's here's a situation where you know they've got a hundred million of them mm-hmm. and they all basically look the same i mean look at the old ones and the new ones they're pretty close i mean you right. can tell the new versus old but it's really minor the new ones have two rear view mirrors <laughs> So, yes, that's there's a little bit more than that, but uh, but, not, <laughs> but but not much really. I mean, you can tell it's an antique, but I think this is a case, Ben, maybe where because there are so many, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that the value of this particular product is going to be very high. Um, I know that you know there might be some sought after specific models from specific years, but sure. um, I, I just don't think that with 100 million of them out there, they're ever going to be a rare find. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That reminds me. What? Today's episode is about the world's rarest cars, <laughs> and we'll get to it after a word from our sponsor. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught. A history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. From iHeart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. 
The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Scott, I have to uh, I have to give you a uh, solid apology there. I think that's the first time that we got to a commercial break without touching on the uh, the episode that we were supposed to do you may be right ben i think uh i think maybe we got close last time but uh mm-hmm. but you know we often throw in a couple little extra uh, what do you, i wouldn't call them easter eggs would you no they're not easter eggs you're not having to find them you're not having to hunt for them well we, uh, we we have a lot of stuff going on we, it's we a have show bonus it's yeah a bonus. there we go it's yeah. a bonus for our listeners i think i hope they see it that way yeah, uh, write into our uh, complaint department if you disagree. That's uh, jonathan.strickland at howstuffworks.com mm-hmm. and uh, request your uh, free super cub from him as compensation. <laughs> I wonder how long we're going to be able to get away with this. Oh, man. He, yeah. is, uh, ah. he, is, he is out there uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Waiting to hear your complaints, and we cannot thank him enough uh, for the work he does as Car Stuff's complaint department. Tireless, he's going to be so mad. Tireless at me. servant. All right. <laughs> so we have. Um, so we know that there is an embarrassment of riches in the automotive world now, mm-hmm. and obviously, not all cars are created equally. Not all cars are going to be as commonplace, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, some are very hard to find. Sure, uh, and I think that this list has to uh, include cars. Now, there's going to be those uh, those cars that have gone extinct, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, those we can't include because it has to be a car that is around that can be you know can transfer hands, can be sold. Sure, because uh, the one the list that we're going by today, by the way, uh, is from a place called Sheer Comfort Blog, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's a it's a good list. It really is. It's a um, it's a list of the, the rarest cars, and not all these cars, as you'll find, are um, rare in that you know maybe they weren't the 
only ones produced, and we'll talk about that when we get to it, because there are a few caveats uh, for certain model years and, and uh, um, option packages, I guess, for and certain some, vehicles. Yeah, there's some fine print. Yeah, a Let's little bit, a little bit. But uh, but all of these cars that we have on our list today will be, um, you know, valuable in some way. They're not extinct, as we said. You know, there has to be at least one existing in the world for it to count on this list. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the list is a good list. It covers 100 years of automotive history. It's from 1905. That's our earliest vehicle all the way up through 2005. So, you know, ponder that for just a moment and think what uh, what could be so valuable, so rare from 2005 that might warrant a list on or a, a place on this list. Right. And bonus points if you happen to predict one of the vehicles. No cheating. But if you can if you can predict one, I would love to hear it. And of course, whenever we have a um, a list like this, there are going to be things that Scott and I feel like should have already uh, should have also been included. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so number ten. Let's let's just start off with yep. uh, the beautiful 1957 Jaguar. XKSS. Yeah, that's right. Now, these were sold for about uh, five thousand dollars in uh, in the nineteen fifties, and if I went ahead, I went ahead and did this uh, this this price comparison. So nineteen fifty seven. Sure. If they were five thousand dollars at the time, uh, that equates to only about forty five thousand dollars in in twenty seventeen. I say only. Uh, because that's a relatively low price for what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a car. There were only 16 of these cars ever built. So that, that that's why it gets on this list. That's why it's number 10 on this list. And uh, the, the idea behind them was that this was going to be um, made from the D-type Jaguars that, were, uh, th- that they couldn't sell, the unsold D-types. They took 29 unsold D-types in the 1950s, and they were going to create them or you know, build them into these road-going sports cars. And uh, that's exactly what they did. And it was pretty easy to modify a D-type into a type, um, into an XKSS, I should say. It took about three days for the factory to do the, the process, the makeover. And there's not a lot of these around because they were supposed to have 20, they're supposed to be 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a fire at the factory that destroyed the ones that were remaining. So the 16 that made it out of the factory are the only surviving cars. Uh, the other, what, there'd be 13 that were left behind that were destroyed in this fire. Uh, so anyways, it's a, it's a uh, rare vehicle, of course. Now, you know, someone who owned one of these that uh, we have seen at auction recently is um, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, you know, he, of course, he had a lot of different vehicles, drove a lot of different cars uh, and motorcycles. And, you know, a lot of those were very valuable, not only because of, you know, who owned them, but because of the rarity. And he had, you know, one of these um, XKSS vehicles and it sold for about $30 million dollars. Uh, last time I was at auction. So uh, hefty price tag on that one, but it's a great car. It's got a 3.4 liter racing engine with about 250 horsepower. Um, of course, um, you know, it has incredible sleek looks. I mean, it's just a, a typical British racing car, really. I mean, that's what it is. It's for the road, a street uh, a racing car for the road, really. Yeah, yeah. And the every time I hear these sorts of lists, I always start kicking myself, you know, because... Well, neither of us were out buying cars in 1957. No. But can you imagine, you know, just putting the equivalent of $45,000 at the time into this car? You could have just parked it and taken it out on the weekends, done the scheduled maintenance, and then boom, you'd be sitting on 
thirty million dollars. Yeah, I know it's huge, isn't it? Now, there's a couple of cars later in this list that we're going to talk about that, uh, you know, it came down to you know putting a check mark in the right box on the factory options. Uh, to to make it more valuable, but who knew at the time? I mean, it just ends up that you know only a few people did it for a certain year, and that's what makes it super valuable. So when we get to those, we'll we'll let you know. But um, another one that's uh, that's a rarity is the 1948 to 1950 Aston Martin two liter sports DB1. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the DB1, the first of its kind, and uh, it was named after uh, Sir David Brown, who was the uh, the owner of a tractor manufacturing company, uh, who purchased Aston Martin in 1947. So uh, just after he made the purchase, he was the owner of the company. They named a vehicle after him, the uh, DB and in DB1 stands for David Brown. There we go. Um, of course, this, there were very few of these built as well, only 15 mm-hmm. that ever came from the factory. Um, the car was only manufactured for about two years, from 1948 to 1950, as we said. And, uh, you know, of these 15 cars, of course, you know, there's very few of them around, and they don't often come up at auction. They don't often trade hands. In right. fact, the one that uh, recently, I think there was one recently, that did come up for auction. Uh, it was sold in really poor condition. It wasn't in good shape. Uh, so in in poor condition, these things are worth about one hundred and twenty thousand U.S. dollars at this point. Uh, so again, if you ever see an Aston Martin DB1, pay special attention because you're seeing something unique. It's probably the one time. It, honestly, it's probably the one time you'll see it. Probably, yeah. You I mean, know? unless you have unless it's at your local museum that you go to often, you know, and you'll see the same one again. Uh, but yeah, to see more than one of these uh, in your lifetime. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's rare. Maybe someone has two or three of them. Who knows? Uh, you know, how, you know, people kind of do that with cars. They yeah. they find one mark that they really like, and then they have, you know, two of the remaining five, or you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we find that with uh, with Tucker cars a lot. Oh yeah. Now there are only fifty one Tucker vehicles built, mm-hmm. and I think a couple of those have uh, have been destroyed. So, uh, you know, even more rare to to see them now. But we see, you know, when we go to museums, we see a couple on display or, you know, an engine display where they have six engines. Right. Uh, things like that. People tend to uh, tend to uh, collect or to gather as many bits of, of, you know, Tucker memorabilia that they can, you know, sure. whether it's the uh, his drafting board or, you know, the door from the barn where he worked or whatever <laughs> it was. Remember? These uh, are all true stories, by the way. Yeah. Uh, in the automotive museum up there in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you will see the barn door that Tucker used. Yeah, yeah, the AACA Museum, Uh I think it is, yeah. All right, uh, number eight on our list. Let's Mm. move on here. 1948 to 1951, Talbot Lago T26 Grand Sport. Which is a very unusual-looking car. So there were only 12 of these manufactured, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's one of the most powerful cars in the world because it has a 4.5 liter six cylinder engine, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, top speed 125 miles an hour. It it won the Le Mans in 1950. Oh, and uh, one other thing that I think we need to mention about this car's history before we move on to talk about the price of this thing because it is expensive. We should say that, uh, that this company was bought by Simca in 1958, and so the Grand Sports uh, rarity is only amplified uh, because it was one of the last cars that was produced by that company. So, uh, oh, you know what? We should also say one other thing is that Simca was then later bought by Chrysler Europe in 1970. So, you know, pushing it even further down the line that you know this thing is never going to be reproduced again. Um, this rare car, so it's what, what 12 manufactured? I think we said. Sure. Yeah. 
an estimated $2.5 million for this car. Now, when you look at it, it's a beautiful car, but I don't know if it's $2.5 million beautiful. Again, <laughs> but uh, how can you assign dollars to, you know, the way a car it, It's pretty. I mean, it's a nice-looking vehicle, at least the one in the photo here is that we're looking at. You know, and, I don't know what the other 11 look like. And being in the market for a new car, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah, keeping my options open. Yeah, I understand. You know, I, I mean, it's, it is gorgeous, but, uh, you know, I, I really, I always have a hard time with this, Ben. Like, is that, mm. what makes this one worth 2.5 million? And, uh, you know, the one that we just looked at previously, what, what makes that one only worth, you know, $120,000 in poor shape? I and mean, it's probably worth a million in good shape or whatever. Supply and demand, my friend. I, I guess so. I mean, yeah, supply and demand. So, so this one with only 12 versus the other one that only had 15, right? Well, what do you think about number seven on our list, which is the 1971 uh, Plymouth Hemi Cuda convertible. Mm-hmm. Okay, now convertible is what makes this one unique. It's not that it's anything dramatically different from anything that they were producing in 1971, but someone checked the convertible box on this one, mm-hmm. and it's a Hemi Cuda, so that makes it even more valuable. Now, only 11 of these were built, right? So mm-hmm. it's pretty rare. And this um, is a muscle car. There aren't many bells and whistles. No, you know? I mean, and a Hemi-powered Cuda is always a desirable vehicle, of course, sure. but again, the fact that it's a convertible is what makes this one unique, with this one different. So these will occasionally come up in a, at auction. You know, they uh, they trade hands regularly, I would say. I, I don't know about that often, but you'll see them here and there. Uh, and when they do come up for auction, people know. They they know to go there and kind of stake it out and see which one it is, and they know who's owned it before, so mm-hmm. they know the whole history of the vehicle. Um, in January of 2013, one of these went for $1.32 million at a uh, Barrett-Jackson Scottsdale auction. However, <laughs> later, just uh, just one year later, at the Mecham auction, uh, a different Cuda was sold for an even higher amount. If there was an eight-minute bidding war on this vehicle, and it went for three point two million dollars, three point two million. Pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> for a muscle car. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's really high. I mean, I thought when we were uh, when we first started this show, you know, a while back, oh, what nine years ago or something like oh, that. Now, man. We were seeing some incredible prices for muscle cars on these uh, these auction circuits, and they were still in the you know two hundred fifty thousand dollar range. You know, maybe maybe a little bit more even. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting up into three point two million dollars for a Hemi Cuda convertible. That's a lot of cash for something like that. I, um, I, I don't know. I mean, is it is it one that's so dramatically different from everything else that you have to have it? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Where, I don't know where to file this one away to. I mean, yeah, it's not a supercar. It's not like uh, it's not like there are no other Hemi-powered Cudas built. It's just there's no there's only eleven Cuda convertibles that were built that year, and that's what right. makes it valuable. So again, yeah. someone checked the box, the six hundred dollar option or whatever it was, mm. made it you know a thousand times, ten thousand times more valuable. Whatever that is, which also makes me wonder, you know, if you're if you're buying a new car, uh, should you just go for a weird trim package? Should you just uh, assemble this compilation of your own very specific mm-hmm. options and mm-hmm. upgrades, and then later learn that you're one of twelve people who did so? Oh, that's a smart move. You know, uh, I think that for a while when you could uh order a, when you could still order a new Dodge Viper, you could order all kinds of different custom paint and, mm-hmm. and appearance packages and I think I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it would tell you how many people have ordered the same thing that you have and you could change it in some way to make it unique. And uh and I 
would be willing to bet that someone's going to have, you know, a uh, one-of-a-kind Dodge Viper from a certain year that someday is going to be worth a lot of money because of that, because they selected stuff that, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe no one else wanted. Maybe that was it. Yeah. <laughs> if everybody wants it, it's not going to be as valuable. Now, here's one that probably a lot of people would have wanted. That, I'm uh, very excited about this one. Are you really? All right. It's so, the oldest one. So what, so what is this one? This is our earliest um, entry, I guess. The 1905 Rolls-Royce 15 HP. Mm-hmm. 15 HP standing for? Horsepower. 15 horsepower, yeah. <laughs> and when you look at this vehicle, it's a big vehicle, right? Big open top. Uh, um, I, what would you call it? It's like a carriage, I guess, almost. You know, like uh, the uh, the horseless carriage look, right? Yeah, it's a salon body style, two doors. Uh, it's very, very old vehicle and quite frankly this is a museum piece oh yeah absolutely and and there make no bones about it uh it's the second oldest surviving rolls royce in the world and in addition it's one of the rarest cars that rolls royce ever made yeah there were six of these built total and currently only one exists there's only one around today. So this one is, of course, extremely valuable. Uh, top speed is only somewhere around 39 miles per hour on this vehicle. Um, it, I mean, it, I, we're laughing at it, but it's a beautiful car. It's nice. I mean, I like mm-hmm. it. It's it's green. It's it's an unusual look. Of course, you don't see this type of vehicle anywhere today, except in a museum, as you said, Ben. Um, it's rare to see something like this, even at you know some of the the top end auto shows that we see. Sure, uh, not auto shows, but maybe um, auctions, uh, auctions, and even um, you know like the kind of events where people all pull into a parking lot and uh, you know show off what they've got. But this <laughs> right. one wouldn't be. Uh, this one is probably a car that tours. I yeah, there's a little more Pebble Beach, I think, than <laughs> yeah. your local car show. Yeah, you know what? That's probably the better way to say it is that you know it'd be you'd be more apt to see something like this at a concours event than you would be at you know the uh, the cars and caffeine that we we see sometimes. Uh, so they really don't have a price tag on this vehicle. I mean, it's a super rare vintage car, but they have appraised. You know, they they do this often. They appraise it uh, for insurance recovery costs if everything if anything were ever happened to it. And the uh, the estimated value of this Rolls Royce is about thirty five million dollars. Yeah, thirty five million. Unbelievable, but again, one of a kind right now, and uh, one of only six ever built. I wonder, I wonder what happened to those six. What's the story with the other five? You know, is there just some guy who has the other five? No, and isn't, <laughs> and isn't telling anyone. I feel like, I mean, not. This isn't the case every time, but it seems like they have pretty good records of what happens, like you know, or what mm-hmm. happened. Like maybe you know, this one's gone through two world wars. Uh, so maybe, you know, it was a war casualty. Maybe it was lost during a bombing raid or something right. like that. Um, a lot of times that you'll find that'll happen, uh, especially with some of the European marks that were around, you know, around around that time. Uh, just unfortunate side effect, um, along with many others. Yeah. Uh, number five on our list. Mm-hmm. This one you'll like. Yes. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. You know. You well, I, I do, but is this the body style that you like? I mean, we're talking about a Packard. Right. A 1954 Packard Panther Daytona Roadster. Yeah, this is uh this is a beautiful little machine. Uh it's a two-seater and only four were ever built. Uh it was originally called the Gray Wolf 2, but Packard thought it was best to go with the name Panther because they wanted to commemorate uh the Packard Racer who was active from 1903 to 04. Hmm. And the design of it as like a concept car thing, I, I'm really uh, interested in the body of the vehicle as well, and I'm glad you brought this up. 
it is entirely made of fiberglass. It's yeah. a one-piece fiberglass body. Pretty strange, huh? But I guess, you know, if, if you go along with what, what, what uh, Chevrolet was doing with the Corvette at the time, mm-hmm. fiberglass was starting to become a, uh, an option for automakers, and they were kind of playing around with what they could do with it. And to mm-hmm. make this uh, this vehicle fiberglass, it's, it's pretty astounding, compa- you know, c- considering what, you know, the history of Packard, you know, because they were always a big, solid metal vehicle, you know, really right. sturdy. I mean, not to say that this one isn't sturdy, but... Um, it's just something completely out of the ordinary for Packard, really. I there think. was so much experimentation with uh, automobiles, mm-hmm. right? And in Materials. material science, mm-hmm. yeah, and and even just design and conceptual stuff. Uh, in the 1950s, there was this real—I don't want to ding uh, the 2017 automotive market, but. In the in the 50s, man, there was this real golden age of manufacturers going, yeah, let's try it. Let's, you know what? You know what? Just put a put some more chrome on. Put a put a dome on it. Yeah. Who needs a who needs an orthodox hood? Gigantic uh, gigantic fins and yeah, lots of chrome accents on the side and all that and big white walls. So these got this one's got giant white walls. Of yeah, course. yeah. Um, lots of chrome and you know um, those uh, protruding front bumpers. It's just a, it's a neat looking vehicle. So if you get a chance, look up the 1954 Packard Panther Daytona Roadster. And uh, you know, this one had a straight eight engine and had a two speed transmission, which I thought was a little bit unusual, but an automatic Mm -hmm. two-speed. You know, I don't know why that's strange to me. I would think that, you know, three-speed was kind of like the starting point for something like this. Yeah. Um, In in that era, I should say, maybe. Um, But it had a 212 horsepower, it had, well, 212 horsepower and a top speed of 131 miles per hour. So it was no slouch. I mean, it it was a quick car. I bet that lightweight body helped out quite a bit. Here's one of my questions. This is a concept car, right, Scott? Yeah, it is. Okay. So... This is a concept car that won the lottery of ideation and became ah, became like technically with a boatload of caveats a production car sort of well they made four so, so I guess I mean is, is that enough though well I <laughs> I mean it's not uh, uh, it's not like the race car numbers right no but it did come off the assembly line. That is true, and so so that that stands for sort of that yeah. that uh, proves something, I guess, is that you know it wasn't just built in some design studio somewhere. It uh, did sell. If you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking Scott Ben Super Producer Ramsey, I'm in. How much? How much cheddar is this gonna? How much cheddar do I need to grate <laughs> for uh, for one of the four? For one of these for, four. For one of these four, about eight hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars was the last price that was seen at auction. Uh, so it's it's pretty expensive, but again, to have one of four that exist, that's pretty good. And what price can you put on history? That's right. Yeah, but I mean, we'll be back after a word from our sponsor with the rest of our list. But we loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught. A history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. 
the joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys. I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have returned, and now we are in. Uh, uh, we're in the era where I'm kicking myself again. Uh, I, I wasn't buying cars in 1967 and 1970 specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I got some regrets. I think I was born too late, maybe. Is that right? Yeah, because the 1967 and 1970 Dodge Coronet, specific uh, specific type. Yeah, yeah, the RT Hemi Convertible. Mm-hmm. Those are the valuable ones. And what makes them valuable, you would think, well, okay, the, the Coronet is not particularly valuable on its own. It was right. not, a, not an uncommon vehicle. They built a lot of them. Sure. But again, because this is the RT Hemi version with the convertible option, that's what makes it valuable. They only built two of these in 1967 and two of them in 1970. 
So that's it. So, you know, when these things come up for auction, people take notice again. Now, it has to be, you know, a factory original. Right. It has to be the ones from the factory. But again, these are the ones that people watch and kind of track and, and they know the history of it. They know who's owned it before. They know all the history behind it. They know everything about it. So when it's coming up for auction, people get excited about it. Now, this one isn't quite as valuable as some of the other cars. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not the Jaguar. It's not the Aston Martin, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's, in the million dollar range. No, no. It's, uh, well, should we tell everyone? Sure. It's, we're looking at around $150,000 the last time it, the last few times it was, uh, in an auction. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is that in this case, uh, similar to the CUDA, in this case, it is entirely due to the rarity of the vehicle in, and that's what makes it stick out. It's sort of a diamond in the rough of the entire production line of yeah. Coronets. Yeah, which is odd because, again, it's just a trim package that somebody – not a trim package, but an option that somebody selected, you know, in 1967, 1970. Only, only uh, you know, four people total checked those boxes, and, and that's what made it valuable. That's what made it stand out from all of the other production Coronets yeah. that were happening at the time. Of course, you know, the Hemi option, that's big, of course. That was a, that was a, a popular engine at the time. This one, by the way, uh, the 1970 model anyways, uh, is, is a lot more powerful with uh, four. 425 horsepower for that for that engine yeah. pretty strong so that's a uh, it's a performer as well um, but again it's just one of those things that you know it's it's kind of an oddball vehicle on this list but it still has a place on the list because it is a rare vehicle sure uh, but it's not a supercar it's not you know made from some manufacturer with a long storied history that uh, mm. you know uh, well I guess you know Chrysler has a great history it's just it doesn't have the history maybe that uh, or the richness of history that like Morgan or uh, Jaguar or mm. Aston Martin or any of those other brands have um, just a different one that's a, just different history sure uh, yeah but um, it's strange I mean it's just an oddball on the list I think that's that's probably the best way that, that and the other one the uh, the Hemi Cuda convertible yeah. I find that those two were kind of a, a strange fit now the next one is a concept car so this one I, I can kind of see this one being on the list again a concept car from 1954 Ooh. it's the Oldsmobile F88 and of course it was made by General Motors and you know General, General Motors Oldsmobile uh, if Oldsmobile was still around, uh, we would have to do a story on Oldsmobile history. Have we maybe. not done a story on Oldsmobile? I, I don't think we have. No, I, know I, I know we've included the history in other podcasts that we've done, but uh, but we've yeah. never done an Oldsmobile history series. Let's do it because, uh, you know, I, I drove a bunch of those. I know you did, yeah. Which ones were that? Is it the uh, Chiva? Was yeah. That, the one? that was one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that and a, uh, is that, that a rare? Is that a rare car? <laughs> Well, it uh, probably is now. I would be very surprised if someone found it now. It, you know, I felt like, uh, you know how the military service members will have the, uh, this is my rifle. There are others like it, but this is mine. Mm -hmm. It was, it was my very first car was an Achieva. Oh, okay. yeah. And I got in a tangle with a school bus. Did I ever tell you that? Yes, you did. That's, yeah. that's the car. Huh? That, that was the car. So it's, uh, while Achievas in general may not be rare, nor, if we're being candid, partic uh, particularly spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, this is a very rare car. I would be very surprised if someone managed to dig it up 
after what I did. <laughs> I was I was I was just a garbage driver, man. Oh man. Well, you know what? I, I would wonder the last time that I've seen uh, an achieve on the road. It has been a while. I mean, I, I bet there's a somewhere in town where everybody's not everybody, but uh, a lot of people see somebody who commutes in one or something, you know. And it's like, oh, I see that every day. That's you not think a big there's deal. still a daily driver? Oh, there have to be. There have ah, to be. Ah, maybe. Think, I think for most of those cars, you know, where they they, they produced, you know, hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, whatever sure, it sure. is, I think there still have to be plenty of examples out there. It's just you know we don't see them where we are in our little you know our little bubble, our area here. Yeah. Now uh, we're we're a family show, so I'm not going to go too deep into this story, but. Uh, I think everybody's first car is this huge milestone. And I got in my first car chase in that car. This is unrelated to the school bus incident. Car chase? Yeah, man, with a bully. He was in like 12th grade. Oh, okay. I was yeah. thinking uh, police chase. No. Oh, that's oh, good. No, no, well, that's no. good. Yeah. Uh, a bully. Um, I'll keep it short. Check me if this is too lewd for a family show. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> hey, let's see. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. So this guy was a bully, and I was the first kid out of our friend group who, had a, who was able to drive. Right. right. And I had uh, I had my neighborhood buddies. You know, all my all my childhood high school friends. We would take my car to school, back from school. You know, and one day, this guy who was just a in retrospect Scott the nicest thing I can say is I guess he was trying to figure out who he thought he was okay and it's a he, fair way to put it yeah and he had a uh, he was having a uh, senior party graduation party kind of thing at his house and so he thought it would be a good idea to uh, go in the buff to go naked and hold a sign uh, about his party over his junk as people were uh, getting out of school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and there was this one gas station. There was this one gas station where everybody went after school, right? Yeah, yeah. Right down the street. Okay. So we go down the street, and this guy was, this guy had a Jeep. And uh, here's how brilliant he was. He left his clothes in the Jeep. Mm hmm. That was just parked, and this is open air, you know. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have it zipped up or anything. Uh, and so we stole his clothes <laughs> and drove by, you know, we're like honking, giving the finger. And so then he runs back into the Jeep. And so we were in this car chase. You're being chased by a nude guy in a Jeep. Yeah. And okay. thank God no one got hurt. Oh, my God. What a story. <laughs> this is like a variation on the old swimming hole story, you know, like where people are, are swimming, you know, naked. They're in the buff there and they've got yeah. the clothes that they've thrown off the side. And someone nabs the clothes, kind of laughs at them. Right. Yeah. But this is right in the middle of town. I have no regrets. He was not a cool dude. And uh, as he was as he was chasing us, thank God it was a jeep because you know you can't you can't do the corners uh, yeah. very well on a jeep at high speeds. Right? Sure, sure. And so we went into this really rickety, hilly uh, neighborhood to to try to lose the guy, mm -hmm. and he he was very committed to you know. Trying to find us. Oh, sure. And so we were like throwing his clothes out the car at oh, him. Oh, no. Anyway, I, I've gotten very derailed. Well, okay. One last thing on this, though. I, I need to know. All right. It's a relatively small town, right? Yeah. Was there hell to pay later for you? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all I needed to know. All right. So back to our list. Back to that was a good story. Back to back our to, show. Our actual <laughs> what we're supposed to be. All right. Doing. I, I think we were talking about the uh, 1954 Oldsmobile F88. It's a, a GM yeah. concept car. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of those concept cars that made it into that kind of semi-production uh, gray area, right? Because there were four built in a 1954, as we said. Only one of these exists today. Yeah, it was a pet project of Harley Earl, whom uh, you will remember, longtime listeners, from our early episodes, right? Earlier yeah. episodes. Yeah, we've talked about Harley Earl uh, many times. And we've seen some of his work in person. Oh, yeah, we have. We went to the uh, – oh, I forget the name of that museum. Or not the museum, but it's the High Museum of Art here yeah. in Atlanta. I can't remember the name of it. It was like car design – the art of the design or something right, like that. Right, the right, art right. Art of the car or something like that. Beautiful exhibit. And, and Harley Earl's products were on display there um this one however was not there it's a again one of a kind it was a concept vehicle that sort of made it into production as we said there were four built which is kind of strange but they did come from the factory mm-hmm. and that's what makes it um well that that alone makes it kind of a rarity i mean it didn't happen yeah. all that often uh you said it was from harley earl it had a 5.3 liter a uh, Super 88 V8 engine that had 250 horsepower, which is pretty cool. Uh, now, it's a two-door Roadster-style car. Right. And uh, one went up for auction in 2005. And, the only one. Yeah, the only one. This is the only one. I should say, <laughs> yeah, one, the one went up for sale. It's a gold-colored vehicle if you want to look up some photos of it. But 2005, this one sold for $3.3 million. $3.3 million. Get your hands on a one-of-a-kind Harley Earl pet project. Makes you uh makes you think maybe you should go with the coronet, honestly. <laughs> maybe. What was that? It was like a hundred and twenty thousand or something, right? right? Yeah, now, everybody hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. I think everybody was expecting this. Uh we everyone was expecting a Ferrari to show up yeah. at some point on the list. Mm-hmm. And that is number two on our list, the nineteen ninety six Ferrari F fifty GT. Yeah. This is a, a car that was actually going to compete um, in a, a road racing series. It was supposed to compete in the something called the BPR Global GT Series. And unfortunately, um, this project was canceled because uh, the, the rivals in that series, they were supposed to race against like Porsche and Mercedes, and uh, the rivals kind of upped their game. And this car became inferior or uh, I guess obsolete. They said, you know, we just can't we we can't do this. We can't compete with this vehicle against what they've done, so we're going to have to change our game, you know, in in the middle here. But they did make 3 of these. They made 3 of them ever. One was supposed to be just a prototype and two were to be sold. That's right, Scott. There are three, uh, and the stats are pretty good. The specs are solid. Yeah, really solid. Yeah, 4.7 liter V12 engine, so we're talking 750 bhp, uh, 2.9 seconds for 0 to 60. 2.9 seconds, and that was in 1996. That's 21 years ago. Can you believe that? Wow. 21 years ago. 2.9 seconds. We're seeing stuff like that from uh, McLaren now, mm-hmm. you know, with with their cars. But that's right now in 2017. And I know that there were other racing cars that could do that back then. I get that. You know, yeah. some that were probably even faster, I'm sure. You, you know, there had to be Formula One cars or something that were sure, doing sure, that. But sure. this is a, a car that was meant to be sold to the public. And, you know, at least two of them anyways. The, mm-hmm. the prototype, that was the one that I'm sure the factory probably was hanging on to that one. I, I would guess. I mean, it doesn't say here in the article. But the price on this thing in 2013 $2.9 million, which is, uh, <laughs> they say it's pretty reasonable considering there are only three in the world, but 2.9, come on, that's still a lot of money. It's a beautiful car, though. I mean, take a look at the, uh, the 90, 96 Ferrari F50 GT and, uh, and tell us what you think. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. But that's not the, uh, the number one vehicle on our list. 
May we have a drum roll, please? Ladies and gentlemen, Scott and I would like to introduce you to number one on our list, the 2005 Maybach Exelero. Yeah, this is a, uh, a definitely a unique vehicle. It's a one-of-a-kind vehicle that was built by the factory, of course. You know, these are these are uh, oftentimes extremely luxurious vehicles. Sure. Uh, very, very luxurious. Now, this one, Ben, we'll just let the cat out of the bag on this one right up front. This car from the factory was very, very expensive. Eight million dollars is what this thing cost brand new and that was back in 2005 now this is the newest vehicle on our list yeah. uh, so to, uh, 2005 so again we've covered a hundred years in this in this list from 1905 to 2005 uh, but again eight million dollars out of the factory now the one car that they built you might think well why would they build this one is it you know like a showpiece for somebody what well, kind of it is it was built as a one-of-a-kind uh, supercar for a place a place called full a company I should say called Fulda which is a German tire company and in 2005, it was, again, I don't know how this happened, but it became available for the public to purchase. So this car is available, and it's at, I guess, the Maybach factory in Germany. However, uh, it has not sold as of right now. I think that right now, um, this car is still available. You could still buy it if you wanted to. And someone has tried in the past, right? Yeah. Someone tried to buy this one, but right. uh, it didn't quite have the money that they thought they had. Right. So uh, the wrapper... Well, okay. I wouldn't call him a rapper. Let's call him a producer. Uh, Birdman, also known as Baby Williams, uh, tried to purchase the vehicle back in 2011, uh, but couldn't, didn't have the cash up front. So it's still the property of, uh, the European automaker. And at this point, if you're sitting around going, what do I do with this $8 million, guys? It's it's crowded up my house. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this might be an avenue you uh, you you could pursue because uh, you can buy it. You can literally buy it today. Uh, the Exelero, one of a kind, amazing specs. Yeah, really amazing. Now it's a heavy car. Yeah, it's it's almost three tons. Yeah, it's two point nine tons. It weighs. It, if you want to be specific about it, it weighs five thousand eight hundred and sixty three pounds, which is a, a giant vehicle. But it does have a V twelve twin turbo engine that has about seven hundred horsepower, and uh, oh my gosh, top speed two hundred and eighteen miles per hour. Now, looking at the car, you wouldn't. It's sleek, sure, but I wouldn't guess that's a two hundred eighteen mile per hour car right there. No, it doesn't look like it. It I, looks it. it it looks heavy. It does look heavy. And the thing is, it goes from 0 to 62 in just 4.4 seconds. So 4.4 uh, seconds is quick. It's not lightning quick like a like a supercar fast or a motorcycle fast. Sure. You're still going to get waxed if you're racing that Ferrari. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. If you're racing that one Ferrari, right? <laughs> uh, so that'd be quite a matchup, wouldn't it? A couple of ultra-rare cars on the on the highway, like just doing a little street racing. I'd love to see that at a red light. Oh, you my know God. What well, I mean? that, yeah, what would the value of that uh, that race be? That would be, uh, let's see, 2.9 for the Ferrari and then 8 for this. So uh, an $11 million race, that's what that would be. But uh, But... God, can you imagine moving nearly three tons to sixty miles per hour in four point four seconds? That's pretty strong. That's a that's a that's a powerful vehicle. And take a look at the photos of this one because you know again it, it's out there. There's there's mm-hmm. studio shots of it. I, I don't know if you can find any production photos of it or not. I haven't even looked, but um, I I think it's kind of neat looking. It's not uh, it's not. Uh, that much different from their great big luxury vehicles, only sure. that this is the uh, the sports car version of it, really. Two things, though, before we close today's episode. Mm-hmm. First, I got to say, with this list, uh, the, they included very interesting vehicles, but yeah. 
the world is so full of one-of-a-kind vehicles and uh, extremely rare vehicles you got to wonder what else would be on this list. Yeah, you know, Ben, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of cars out there where there's only one built. And, you know, I was thinking of, uh, um, you know, some other cars where there were a few built, but only a couple remain, you know, like where right. there's, there's you know, the, the Steinway Mercedes. That was one. You remember Steinway, the piano manufacturer yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. built the body for the Mercedes? And, um, you know, cars like that, that, I can see where those are valuable. But, I mean, okay, here's here, – the last one maybe is something that I wasn't expecting is that, you know, there's only one of these built and that's why it's so expensive. That's, I understand, you know, that there's a lot put into this one too. It's not just that it's just the only one of its kind. Um, but you'd think that there could be some other way to kind of, uh, separate this list out to, you know, there, there were a hundred of these cars made and only three, uh, you know, survived the fire and, uh, you know, only one right. exists today. That seems to be even more rare than the one where they just built one and it's been kind of under factory wraps for a while. Right. You know? Yeah. That's I, a really good point. I don't know how to put that. I mean, I'm, I'm really struggling with how to, how to, or how a car can be called rare or classified as rare, mm-hmm. uh, or more rare than another car. And I guess maybe that comes down to dollar amounts like on our list here. I mean, cause we're talking about an $8 million factory car, right. but it was only built, well, there's only one built. Um, other cars on the list were more valuable, but there were more of them built. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. It's, it's just really tough to put all this together in your head. Like, what what makes it the most valuable? I know there were, there were, um, some surprising examples missing from this list, but they only had ten spots, and we right. hear that all the time when we do shows. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't mention this, but mm-hmm. um, you know there are other lists that have different vehicles on them, so you'll find those with you know like the ZL1 Camaro, you know mm-hmm. that that type of thing. Or again, someone just checked the right box. In right. that year, that production year, and made it that much more valuable. And how many one of a kind cars are locked away in Jay Leno's Cave of Wonders? <laughs> yeah, he's probably got a lot of them, right? I mean, yeah, there's probably got a, a, a ton he, of those. He's got a steam. He has a steam powered car. Yeah, sure. That he, he knows how to operate probably, and runs. Probably has more than one, I would guess. I mean, mm. you know, different types of steam powered vehicles. Yeah, but yeah. He probably has one that's his favorite, or one that you know is more valuable. His than daily the driver. Yeah, exactly. His daily driver. So here's the second thing. Okay. Is the second thing because I'm. Really Really in a corner here with this. I, <laughs> this list has confounded me for a couple of days now, but uh, we'll work on it later. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll, we'll sort this out. Maybe uh, maybe have a follow up discussion or something. Yeah, and we want your help, uh, friends and neighbors, ladies and gentlemen. All uh, right, sorry, it... I interrupted your uh, your second thing. Oh yes, yes, because we set it up at the top of the show, and I, I talked about looking for a new car. Oh yeah, uh, some of the responses. I got. So Glenn, uh, Glenn Beck asked if I was still looking for a Winnebago. Mm-hmm. Does Glenn have a Winnebago for sale, I wonder? I think he, I think Glenn's just. <laughs> that sounds very specific, you know? Yeah, I think he, I think he just knows how much I want one. Yeah. Or love the idea of one. Yeah. So I replied, after eight years of heated debate, Scott finally talked me off that ledge. <laughs> Also, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Clever. Uh, So then people are recommending Hyundai. Uh, They said it was was a boring car but reliable. Sure. It seems to be the consensus. Uh, And then I told you about the guy who wanted to sell me a dump truck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Yeah, what was it, a dump truck? And then the other one was – oh, another RV, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, also he has a lead on a low-mileage caddy from 2005 – uh, we had somebody who said they love their RAV4, um, mm. which I don't know if that's for me. I understand that people like them. Yeah. Well, that came off as though I, I hate them. I don't hate them. I just don't think. <laughs> it's just not for you. In my style. Um, 
And then some people were saying to stay away from uh, Nissan and uh, four-cylinder Chevys. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. And specifically because they said four-cylinder Chevys, I I had to to chime in and say, all right, pump your brakes, buddy. Yeah. Why? Well, I'm not driving a four-cylinder, but I, I can't have people all over the internet being disrespectful. To Chevys. No, <laughs> I, 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 I'm kidding. I understand. You're a Chevy guy. Uh, I, well, but, but will that continue? I don't think. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. It'll be interesting to see what you end up with. I mean, you're getting some, you're getting some advice from people. I've never heard anything bad about. Uh, well, you know, I should say never, but um, I don't know what's going on with you know people hating on Nissan. I'm not sure what that's all about. But mm-hmm. uh, and four cylinder Chevys. It seems like there's plenty of decent four cylinder Chevys. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, maybe I need to investigate this further. People are going back and forth on Jeep, too. Huh. Is that right? Uh, Jeeps. And, uh, of course, somebody told me to just buy an A3 and uh, an Audi. And uh, I was not. That's not going to happen. Not having it, huh? Yeah. Okay. Not having it. Solid car, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of our other. Of course, several people chimed in and said, just just bite the bullet. Get a Ford F-150. Mm-hmm. Eventually, everyone will drive one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? It does. It really does. There's a lot of them around here. I the, mean, a lot. The roadways of tomorrow are going to be exclusively Honda Civics, Honda Accords, and F-150s. Yeah, Nissan Leaf. you got to throw the Nissan Leaf in there. You're throwing in the Leaf? Well, there's a ton of them on the road here. I think uh, – <laughs> hey, didn't we – one time we did this, and I'll, we, I know we need to wrap up. We've sure, gone sure, long sure. today, but um, it seems that – one time I found a, a list of state cars. You know, like you have a state bird, a state song, a state yeah, leaf, yeah, whatever, yeah. It is, or a state tree. Um, someone someone created this list of state cars, and it was done by the number of new car registrations in the state and the uh, like, the most predominant type of vehicle mm-hmm. that was sold in that state. And I believe that um, for Georgia, I think it was the Nissan Leaf. I think it was. No way. Yeah, I can't remember every state, obviously, you know, with uh, with what that was, but what the vehicle was. But uh, Nissan Leaf, I think, was the most registered vehicle, at least for that year. And it, I'm, this is going back a couple of years. That's surprising. Well, I don't know, Ben. I mean, I've, I've been paying attention to how many Nissan Leafs I've seen on the road since then. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of them. It seems like you can't sit at a stoplight without having, you know, one or two around you. Uh, so there's a ton of them here. Lots of them. So I'm wondering then if maybe... Maybe I'm not seeing them because I'm not looking for them. It's kind of you know there's a there's a lot of psychology behind the cars that stick out to us on the road when mm-hmm. we're driving, mm-hmm. and this is easily proven in the case of any of your friends buying a car. Like if you if you buy, for instance, um, one of our coworkers bought a Honda Fit recently, and he is continually baffled and amazed and astonished by how many Honda Fits he sees on the road. But he didn't see them prior to that. No, of course not. Yeah, he wasn't you know looking what for I mean? them. Yeah. It's like when I see another Monte Carlo on the road, I think we're best friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm this like the, waving to people. This is stuff. that uh, Bader-Meinhof thing, is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Bader-Meinhof. Yeah, yeah, it's where if you get something stuck in your head or you, you've recently purchased something, you then see more of that around you or um, you, you focus on those more than you had in the past. Because right. It's just, it just was something that was... That would pass you by and you wouldn't even notice it. Give it, give it a second thought even. but Like uh, you have a song stuck in your head and then you hear it later on the radio. Yeah. Right? Are you psychic or did you just notice it because you were already thinking about it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
And before we delve into the psychology of how people notice cars, uh, Scott, you and I have to get on the road. Uh, we both have uh, some road trips ahead of us this weekend. Yep. And we'd love to hear from you. What do you think should be on this list of the world's rarest cars? Uh, do you – just going to take a shot in the dark here, man – do you happen to own one of the cars on the list? <laughs> I bet a lot of people are going to claim to have, you know, a rare car. It's going to be like a Honda Civic, but mine has silver wheels, mm -hmm. uh, ten spoke. You know, no one else has that. Um, so, you know, I bet that's it. Well, with a sunroof. What was that one you were telling me about uh, earlier? The uh, where they just put crystals all over oh that was the chrysler 300 yeah, yeah. With the uh the swarsky crystals or whatever it was on every bit of trim and yeah you know, the door handles the window surrounds the the grill everywhere i haven't seen that car again so i'm wondering if it was not a state vehicle but uh pretty unusual yeah so on a personal note folks please don't do that to your car uh but it's your car you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I feel like some I feel like some dad talking to his kids about tattoos. Uh, to each his own, right? Yeah, yeah. But while you're under my roof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. You can find Scott and I on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can write to us directly. Let us know uh, your take on the world's rarest cars. And uh, let us know... Let us know specifically if you think there's another Ferrari that should have been included on this. Maybe even replace the one that's on the current list. Mm -hmm. You can write to us directly. We are. Carstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.